Circle. I am John Cato. No, I can't do this. I'm sorry. I got to take off the mask. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to try it. Couldn't do it. Just demonstrating it. So there you go. I'm John Keane. Welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, April 4th, 2020. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage, in some cases, start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers. We don't do Buffalo speeches. We don't try to mystify uh, being Native. <laughs> Uh, we take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We'll take on the false narratives, narratives and provide critical thinking to all that's heaped upon us. And we do it all live right here from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. Uh, so let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that you can stream the audio of the show live while we're doing it, on our website at www.letstalknative.com. We stream live video of the show on Facebook Live, on our group page, uh, in fact, several group pages. Uh, we take the audio, we put it up on SoundCloud, which puts it out uh, as a podcast. On uh, You can find it on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We take the video and we put it up on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. I encourage you to subscribe to our podcasts, and I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I also encourage you to, to stop by our website anytime. Uh, we, we have links to our podcasts. We have uh, links to the video. We also have a store where you can uh, get some uh, Let's Talk Native merchandise, uh, including uh, including some shirts that, that Jake personally worked on to... Um, uh, kind of send a message. We've got uh, a run of the Gaia shirt. We've got uh, um, a couple of uh, takes, uh, spoofs on the Wizard of Oz, as well as uh, Lincoln the Executioner. Yeah, there's there's some shirts we're taking a look at. Uh, not to mention, uh, I think we've even got like a, uh, a couple of um, uh, white skin T-shirts to counter, you know, that other team. Um, so anyway, uh, ch- check out, uh, what's that? Oh, and of course, we have the missing and murdered indigenous women shirts as well. Um, hey, let me let me get into it. Um, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time going through the the COVID numbers. They are terrible. Uh, it, it it this thing is is spreading as fast as anybody could have predicted. The United States, um, in spite of Trump's bragging about how wonderful he's doing uh, managing this thing is basically out of control uh, and it's out of control on a couple of different levels not only does the united states are they almost double any other country um in terms of total cases they're third on the list for the number of of deaths caused by uh by covid19 uh, but the the likelihood is they'll probably overtake you know france and, and spain uh, on this um Countries like Spain uh, have actually has overtaken Italy. Italy was considered the hot spot. Nobody's talked about Spain as much as they have Italy, but things are going really bad in Europe, and they're going really bad uh, here in the United States. And I don't want to make light of this thing because, in spite of those people who will tout, "Oh, we're going to be fine, we're going to survive," not everybody's going to be fine. There, are, there are people dying, and there and there will be more people dying. the The death rate at this point is. Um, you know, is really just the tip of the iceberg on this thing. And we we don't know how long this is going to last. We, you know, people are talking about the apex. When you hear Governor Cuomo talk about New York City reaching its apex, well, that's fine for New York City. But there are places like Detroit and Chicago and Los Angeles and New Orleans and, all you know, Cleveland, all these other cities, 
you know, cities down in Florida, cities in Texas that ha- that are a little bit farther behind in their curve, so to speak. So when does the United States reach its apex, as uh, as Andrew Cuomo talks talks about? It's it's probably not till sometime in the summer. I mean, this is and, and of course you've got several states in the in the in the heartland that have no stay-at-home orders and many states that that may have them but they're but it's it's kind of being you know dismissed i mean there there are states that where people are still doing um anti-covid parties they're doing they're 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 intentionally gathering to mock and and to dismiss this whole thing as a hoax you have you have church organizations. You have a couple of states that have said, "Well, we're considering church gatherings an, an essential necessity." Uh, you know, you know, which is which is bizarre. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know even know what, how to address this this idea that you should stay at home except for to go to church or choir practice. Um, but you know, this is this is the reason that there will be no shortening of the curve. This is going to drag out, you know, coast to coast. Uh, and, and of course, it isn't going to be, be stopped by, you know, state borders. It's not going to be stopped by national borders and that kind of stuff because there's, there are still a lot of people who are you know, moving, you know, you know, across these man-made lines. So um, it is, it is going to get, it's, it's going to get very bad. I think New York, um, uh, New York City is now seeing, this wave that's moving out of the city towards you know um east from uh, across long island long island is starting to to have some incredible numbers and of course even way out here on on the uh, in the western area of new york uh, the the county just north of us erie county uh you know has uh, almost 900 800 uh, over 800 cases and uh and these numbers are starting to starting to rack up so it is um it, it is really concerning uh, you know, the story changes a little bit. Now, you know, everybody's being advised, you know, to wear a mask when they go outside or when they, when they do go out into public, you know, whether they're grocery, sh- you know, shopping or, or, or whatever. Um, look, all I can say is stay home. You know, the, the best thing you can do is stay home and, uh, you know, try to ride this thing out. And I, I know it's tough. And now you're hearing, you know, the president of the United States, you know, trying to hedge back and forth between, yes, the stay at home orders that he he suggested should continue for another 30 days. Now he's now he's trying to renege on that a little bit. The other piece of advice is ignore the moron from the White House. That's the only other thing I could suggest to you do, because some of the doublespeak that comes out of uh, Trump or his family members, Kushner or anybody else is uh, is it's it's just adds to the confusion so uh try not to to follow the advice of people that you know are ignorant um and look i know there's a a lot of stuff on facebook you know trying to attribute this to 5g and to you know a a man-made virus you know intended to you know uh, impose martial law look you can believe what you want to believe and and if, if that helps feed something that's that's a part of you then by all means but but make no mistake about it this thing is spreading wherever it came from you know and everybody has their opinion on that but this thing is spreading it is taking lives and eventually everybody's gonna know somebody i mean let me let me put this into a little bit of perspective 
there was a there was an island uh, off the coast of Italy, part of the part of the, the the nation of Italy, that upon the first death, they tested everybody, and I don't know what the what the volume of people was, you know, a couple thousand people, I guess, and at that moment, three percent of this this population, this this village, what tested positive, so at the onset of one death within within a a, a certain population. A test proved uh, testing proved that three percent of the population had uh, had the disease. Of that three percent, forty five percent had no symptoms whatsoever. So almost half of the people who tested positive didn't know they were sick, didn't know they were carrying the disease, and so eventually that three percent can grow. But but just think about this for just for one second: if three percent of the U.S. population uh, should be should end up carrying this disease, you know, be, test positive if they could ever test 330 million people, which won't happen. That's almost 10 million people. At this point, when you look at the numbers, you realize that that the mortality rate is actually growing. It's it's not getting less, you know. And of course, I you know it stands to reason because they are testing sick people. They are testing the broad based population. But right now, the mortality rate is coming in at almost 5% globally, up from less than 4%. So it's, it's, it, these are scary numbers. Now, I know Trump threw out numbers like, you know, this could, you know, uh, cause 100 to 250,000 deaths. And frankly, I think he threw a big number out there, hoping that anything that comes in less than that will show that, you know, what a great success he has had in managing this thing. The scary part is, those numbers are probably not unrealistic based on what what when you look at all the numbers throughout the world and and at this point you know i i use a, a website called worldometer and you can go to the uh the coronavirus screen they have a, a whole bunch of stats on that set, on that site what they've added to that is um the number of tests that were con, uh conducted by each country at this point in the united states only 0. 0.5 percent of the population has been tested. So not even 1% of the US population has been tested. You know, it's 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 just uh it is really worth noting this because this is anybody who thinks that that it, you know that it's a, a lot of people um it's a, it's a relatively small percentage. I mean in the United States there's there's over 311,000 new cases that have tested positive. But that's only testing that's that's only testing about 0.5%, less than half of a percent of the, of the population. So, look, there's there's a long way to go. We're going to be talking about this probably each show. I'm going to have to throw something out there. I will say that as I sit here on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation, we still have no um, confirmed cases here on uh, on Seneca territory. So, um, that's a positive note. I you know I know other territories can't say that Six Nations has a bunch. You know. Uh, uh, Navajo territory is is basically uh, inundated with it, but you know. So this is that's where we stand with this. Um, hey, I want to I want to talk about something that I've kind of talked about before, but I've used other language about it. And and part of the conversation that I've had basically introduced has been introduced to uh, to the show by my friend uh, uh, Dagarundage Paul Delarome. He's oftentimes talked about the difference in the distinction between rights and responsibilities. And he said, there, there are no rights if there are no responsibilities. You can't claim a right if you, if you can't accept a responsibility. 
Well, I want to go beyond the notion of rights and actually talk about power and authority. First on the power thing. One of the words that, that I've become increasingly uncomfortable using is the word sovereignty. And I know the word sovereignty has been appropriated by Native people. We use it all the time. We talk about tribal sovereignty or I'm sovereign, I'm this. But the reason I'm, I've, I'm having trouble with that word, the more, the more I've thought about what it means, where it comes from, that kind of thing, it is, um, it's a French word and, and it really comes from this idea that God has ultimate power and that there is this, one of the greatest lies ever told is that God himself has granted certain families with power over others. So when they talk about royal families, for instance, the crown, that these monarchs, are appointed by God and that they are the sovereigns. They are the power. They, they, they have the power over other people. And see, that's what sovereignty is. Sovereignty doesn't mean freedom. Sovereignty doesn't, to be sovereign doesn't mean that you're free. It means that you have power. And, and what governments, uh, you know, the different types of, you know, isms, I guess, you know, or, or, or styles of government have different views on where sovereignty rests within its within their nation so um uh is a monarchy the sovereign is the is the crown it's the king it's the queen it's that it's that royal family you know that and that they are the sovereign and uh, and they they have the power over everybody in other types of governments you may have you know the uh, sovereignty may be spread out um uh, in a democracy for instance the the sovereign is is the people in mass the only the group the individuals are sovereign but the group um represents the sovereign um in a republic the sovereignty uh extends down to the individual it's a birthright well and this is where some of the stuff gets gets awkward so when a country claims to be sovereign what they're saying is they have that they have power and they have a specific place that that power is vested so in our culture, um, in, as, as not only as Ongwe Ongwe, but as uh, Haudenosaunee or Rudenosaunee, it isn't about power. It, it's a, it's, again, it's about responsibility. But we talk about that we are free and independent people. And the only power that we claim is the power to, to um, decide for ourselves. Not the power to inflict over or, or to assert over land or not the power to impose over others. That's, that is, that's a European concept. And, you know, and other countries have had it too. And maybe even other native territories have had this, this sense of, of power being vested in an individual the, or, or a group of individuals that, that power can be asserted over others. But so power and authority are, you know, those are words that are kind of interchangeable. I oftentimes hear people talk about the authority that they have. And, you know, and I talk about this sense of empowering our youth, for instance, youth empowerment. Um, so I, those are the things that, that I become concerned about. Um, you almost knocked the uh, interface off. Um, so I, I, I get concerned about us utilizing some of these concepts that are really kind of, they're not ours. You know, so that's what I get concerned about. So when I hear people talk about authority or or, or land ownership, that's that's another thing where where power and authority come in. I, I think it's important that that we 
maybe we need to revisit our language so we can have a better understanding of this because I think things get lost in translation. We, we had this, um, um, we referred to peace, power, and righteousness as key elements uh, of, um, of Haudenosaunee uh, people. That, that we, but, but again, when we use words like peace, power, and righteousness, those are nouns. And in our language, peace is not necessarily a thing. It is a process. Um, power that we talk about in this sense of peace, power, and righteousness is not the power over others. It's the power of our minds. We talk about the power of the good mind. It's, it's that we, we have the power of reason. And, and other uh, living creatures don't necessarily have this, idea, this power to, to rationalize and make decisions based on, based on the future or, or based on cause and effect. You know, nature is balanced and, and a lot of the, the, the inst- instincts that other living creatures have um, work their way out in terms of that stuff. But man, because we do have an insatiable, an insatiable appetite, we're, we're also given the power of reason, which we're supposed to use to balance that appetite. So again, peace and power are not this idea of authority over others. And, and it's not this idea that peace is something that you, um, that you fight for, but that you, you find a way to maintain that peace. The righteousness thing isn't just this idea of good versus evil. That, again, that's not, that's not our concept. The whole idea of righteousness is, it actually is the opposite of what, um, what you might find in the Bible. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. See, we wouldn't look at that as, as, a, as a righteous way to maintain peace. If, if somebody lost an eye, the, the way that you would resolve a conflict that may have resulted in that eye isn't to take the eye of somebody else. It's to let that person's eyes be used for, to help this person who lost an eye. I mean, so it isn't this idea that you, that you retaliate with, with, with an equal force or an equal wrong to, make, to, to try to construct that two wrongs make a right. We also wouldn't, the whole idea of turning a cheek and getting slapped twice is, is not something that, that we would uh, adopt in, in our culture. We would, if, if a, a violent act was, was committed against somebody, we wouldn't just say, obviously it was important for you to slap me, so I'm going to let you, I'm going to turn the cheek and let you slap me again. No, we would try to rationalize and use a righteous process to address that act of aggression so that we stop. So we stop that. We don't, we don't encourage it by saying, it's, it's obviously important to you to slap me, so I'm going to, let you, I'm going to turn the cheek and let you slap me again. So the, those Christian concepts stand in direct um, contradiction to, to ours. So you know, I, I think it's important to, to, to explain that. Look, and I know there's, there's probably some preachers out there saying, oh, I, I'm misunderstanding what the, what the concepts mean. Well, look, there's plenty of violence in uh, in many religious books, not just the the Bible, but the Torah, the Quran, and 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 there have been millions of people. In fact, most of the the conflicts on the on the globe um, have arisen out of people's uh, religious beliefs. So I'll I'll just leave it there. But but again, I think so. When we use words, the English words. We should delve back into the into our language, or those people who understand the language, 
so we have a better idea of the concepts. Because when we talk about, again, even land ownership, the way it was taught to me, and I'm not trying to contradict or, you know, or stand in direct opposition to, to what anybody else has ever said. What it was explained to me is that we don't own the land. Our future generations do. That when we talk about the title, so when we talk about women having the, um, being title holders, what we're, what we're saying is because they give birth to the next generation, and it's not just women, it's the female of any species, that part of their responsibility, and, and of course with, with human beings, we have a rational way of dealing with that responsibility, that, that, we, that we know that the, uh, our future generations are, are born out of, uh, out of our women. So women have a unique responsibility when it comes to the land. But, you know, I, I oftentimes tell the story that I once heard from uh, uh, Ratio, who, who basically um, uh, tells the story of a, of a white man coming upon a native village saying that he wanted to buy a parcel of land and he wanted to know who owned the land. And, uh, and, and the, the, the person he speaks to says, uh, well, the, the landowner isn't here. And he says, well, when, when will the landowner be here? And the the gentleman that he asked, the native gentleman, looks and and as he peers off in, off to the side, he, he sees a, uh, a a young woman with a with a, a, a round belly, <laughs> and says, uh, "Well, looks like uh, you know probably in, in about four months." So the, the the person inquiring about the land comes back four months later or thereabouts, and and said, um, uh, "I want to again. Is is there any way I can speak with the landowner?" And, you know, the same gentleman, you know, looks and sees, you know, not only is that woman now with her, with her young, but sees another woman who's, who's pregnant and says, uh, well, I don't expect the landowner to, you know, to make an appearance, you know, for another three months or whatever. So this goes on. And eventually the moral of the story is that the, the future, you know, the unborn are the ones who the land is, uh, is attributed to. I mean, the land ownership is a, is a tough concept, but but in in our culture, we talk about the future. The land is the land belongs to the future. If you want to talk about ownership, and so our responsibility once we are born, now our jobs are to maintain that land and to make and to ensure that future generations. And this isn't again; it's not a man thing, a human thing. We we attribute the responsibility of uh, you know that it's the future generations of all all of creation that the land is attributed to. So when I hear our own people talk about owning land, I, I understand that it's, that it's almost a shortcut, right? It's, it's a way to, to talk about our, well, more, more that it's more about talking about our rights. Of, but, but see, here's where this gets difficult. Because the doctrine of Christian discovery uh looked and they saw how we viewed land i mean the 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 the, the white people who came the europeans and they said ah oh, they don't own the land they just occupy the land and they keep it for the future so we're going to claim the land as christians we're going to we've made the determination that not only do native people themselves not view themselves as land owners but because they don't we can because we don't have to look at them in the same eyes or, or, or as, as human beings that 
that look at at land as something that you can own and occupy or own, but only, only reside on. So they use this idea of land ownership as a means not only to, to strip us of land rights and, and occupation on uh, that, that land, but then assert power, again, over the land and the people on the, that land. So we try to balance that by trying to use the same argument against We say, no, the land is ours. This is our land. You know, and we talk about, we say it's Seneca land or we say it's Mohawk land or it's, a, you know, it's, but, you know, if we say those things, it's one thing to say them. But I think we should make sure that we understand conceptually that within our culture, we don't view ownership, land ownership, in the same way that uh, that Europeans do. And that doesn't mean that we should be victims because of that. In fact, I think the whole concept of uh, the land owning you rather than you owning the land makes a lot more sense. And look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll uh, we'll take a break and we'll come back and uh, we'll discuss this a little farther. Again, I want to get more into this idea of authority versus responsibility. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Hey, I want to thank my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank Eric White and ERW Enterprises, the folks at Grand River Enterprises and Native Wholesale Supply. Um, look, without the support of um, of these main sponsors, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing here. And uh, and look, they've they've kept up, you know. In spite of what's going on right now, these guys are, are still supporting um, what we do here. We're doing three shows a week out of this studio. We used to do just the two, just the, the Let's Talk Native um, uh, on Saturday nights and, and Tuesday nights. But I'm no longer making the trip to New York, so so Jake's coming in helping me do my New York show from here, uh, which is Thursdays, by the way, on WBAI. But we also stream that on Facebook Live, and we put it up um, as a podcast as well. That's Thursdays from 3 to 5. That's a two-hour show. Uh, and because we link up with our New York studio, we can take uh, phone calls. So uh, we, we, get a, we get some spirited conversations going on down there. We get a few haters out there every once in a while, but, uh, it, but, it's, but it's a good conversation. But look, yeah, I want to thank the sponsors because I couldn't do these shows um, and some of the other video work that, that, that Jake and I work on uh, if I, we didn't have the support. I also want to thank those of you who share the share the videos share of, of the show, you know, our short form videos, those of you who share the podcasts. Um, look, I've got over 8000 people on the group page associated with this, uh, uh, the Facebook group page associated with this, uh, this program. And look, many of you engage me, you, you know, many of you comment as we stream it on Facebook. Uh, and I appreciate the the input. Uh, good to hear from Matt, by the way. I see <laughs> Matt from our old uh, um, intercom days uh, offering a comment. So I'll say hello out to Matt. Um, but look, I, I I appreciate those of you who who listen to the show and share the show, and and especially offer your comments. Um, and look, you're 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 fair. You, you are are free to disagree. And I know when I'm talking about some of these concepts, because 
when I when I talk about things like sovereignty being a bit of a bit of a problematic word, I know that that's probably not something that people heard much of. I mean, because that's again the idea of sovereignty is something that we've appropriated it, um, and 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 I think it's it, it's worth having a conversation because I get real concerned about this idea of asserting power and authority over land and over people especially when there's a concentration of that power and authority which is kind of why i wanted to do the show that i'm doing today and i've talked about this before because you know again degarunda gave is always he's he's quick to to point out uh, the difference between rights and responsibilities and if you look uh in the guyana Goa, a lot of what is laid out there uh you know people say well we want to know the right and the power of the people but it's it's more about the responsibility that people have. And it's not just chiefs and clan mothers. You know, we, we talk about how we uh, we gather and we and, and we counsel as men. We gather and we counsel as clans. We gather and we counsel as, uh, we even have what we call medicine societies. There are any number of groups within a community that that we say have a fire. They have their own fire, and and by by that we mean they have the right to counsel, and they have the right to um, to uh, come up with decisions or or uh, or develop plans or actions or whatever else. So, but but to do that, you have to be responsible enough to to be engaged. So a lot of this isn't about whether you put somebody in a position of authority; it's about you put them in the position of service. So, again, when we talk about um, uh, title holders, for instance, oftentimes, and, I, and I've, seen, I've seen the bumper stickers, it says, honor the chiefs. Well, okay, I'm not saying dishonor anybody, but let's not lift people up because that is, again, con- that's a contradiction of our culture. We talk about everybody's head being at the same height and that, 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 we're, that we're, we're equal. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all the same, it just means that no one has more power than anybody else. And and look, I've heard some people, they almost do a little bit of doublespeak. They'll say, no, we, we have no authority except for the, the authority that people give us. Well, the, the people don't actually give you authority. You know, I, I've once said, you know, the best way to prevent the abuse of authority is to not give it. And the best way to, to solve an abuse of authority is to make sure you take back whatever authority somebody has been asserting. But the problem is we don't want to be responsible. Because if we just think, well, that's your job. We put you in that position, so th- that responsibility is yours. Well, that's, that's us you know, failing in our responsibility. When we put people in a position, whether we elect them or, or whether you know, they go through you know, a, a traditional process, those people are our servants. And it's up to us to have those servants perform the service for us they may we may give them a responsibility to carry our voices but they we don't give them the responsibility to speak for us we don't give them and when we talk about grand council grant decisions aren't made at grand council they're announced at grand council the decisions are made back with the people the you know, our process for 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 dealing with tough issues isn't send everybody to grand council uh and then and make a determination make a ruling that they don't impose it upon people. It's it's to to discuss it, take it back to our communities, take it back to our clans. It's a slow process, but you see, we've altered that, and we don't necessarily follow what the Guyana Goa says. 
And that's why we've had failures in this stuff. And that's why even as we use English, look, I've heard people say, well, you, 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 you can't communicate in English. That's simply not true. You can. You, you just have to avoid using words that are inappropriate. And if you do use a word that, that isn't an accurate translation, then we have to take the time to define that word when we say it. So if we're going to use the word sovereign or sovereignty, we have to say, well, that's the right and responsibility to make decisions for ourselves. It is not, it's not power that we assert over others. And, and again, when we talk about land ownership or authority over land, we start to sound like them. That's, you know, that's what the Bible says, right? Assert dominion over the land or over the creatures of the earth. That's the first, that's the first chapter of the Bible. That's Genesis. That that we were that we as man were created to assert power over over the earth. Well, that's not an that's not a, a Haudenosaunee concept. No, we don't look at the at the earth as something that we subdue. That's and and so when we use language that is that's that doesn't translate properly, we have to be a little bit more careful. And here's the problem. Our language is not noun-based, and English is. And, and in fact, many of the more you know, and, and, you know, the the Latin languages all they they're very much noun-based, so they have labels. Our words are descriptive. I mean, and all words start from a place of metaphor, right? You know, we, you know, so if we we describe something, um, we oftentimes say what it's like. So, um, you know. That's that's how we you know that's that's how we communicate. But even in our language, we do that. But if those if those words in those descriptors become trite or, or or overused, then all of a sudden the image created by them goes away. So we we end up relying again back on labels. So it's important that that if even if you don't speak our original languages, that you find out where a concept comes from and what is the best way again, to translate it in, into English so we don't lose the essence and, and we don't lose the, the idea. I mean, one of the, the, the words that Dagerundige is, is quick to explain because it's so different when you, when you understand the native perspective. Again, to borrow Ed Schindler's comment, what, what, what were we thinking? The, the word uh, yogonuru is the word that we use for rain but it's not a noun. It's a description. It literally translates to say, we know that it's precious. So when we use this expression, yogonuru, we, we're referring to something that we understand has a unique value. And, and we actually give it the name you know, that, that talks about how precious it is. We don't talk about it. It doesn't translate. It doesn't come from water falling from the sky. So we don't give it that kind of definition. Instead, we give it a definition that that is that is descriptive. So, I mean, it, it just that's just an example of, of how the language can. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't. If we say yogonuru, so whether we're talking about rain or or, or some other kind other kind uh, type of moving water, there's we can still use it, and and people can still translate it and understand what we're talking about. But when we talk about things like power 
and authority and rights, there's not a whole lot of um, words in our language that translates to that kind of concept. So we have to be careful when we use those words that we, that we, that we frame them properly, I guess. So I think that's, I guess that's, that's really what I'm trying to say here. And so I caution people because if, if that's the conversation you're having, not only with our own people, but other people, people who don't understand that when we use a word like sovereignty, we're, that we're framing it differently, then we have to take this, we have to take extra time and explain it. You know, so I'm, I'm very cautious when I hear, you know, people use a shortcut you know, so when we use things like the creator, as opposed to referring to the power of creation, I mean, I'll, I'll, it's funny, as much as, uh, you know, oftentimes we use these shortcuts, there's also places in language that we, we get too verbose, as they say. I mean, it's like, if you're, if you're Onondawaga, if you're Seneca, it's enough just to say you're Onondawaga or Seneca, but Instead, we hear people say, well, I'm an enrolled member of the Seneca tribe. Really? You had to, say, you had to make it a whole sentence and say, and, uh, that long, that many words? Which means something different than to say that you're Onondawaga. Because now you've used words like enrolled, which means that you're a name on a piece of paper. And that you're a member, like it's something that you signed up for because it's a piece of paper, right? And that, uh, and and even the word Sen- you know, words Seneca Nation. The word nation is not one of our words. Onondawaga means the people of a place, the land of, of mountains and, and and big hills. Gunyagahaga means the people of a place, a place where flint is is a, uh, is plentiful. Uh, Onyotaaga, the people of the lands where stones stand out of the ground. So these are words, and it doesn't say the nation of this or the nation of that. Nation is like a box. It's not our box. It's a box that was created by, by monarchies, by these, by these sovereigns again, right? So I'm not saying we can't use the words. I mean, in, uh, in fact, my, my friend Sogrieta, he dialed in, he called into uh, into my show in New York because um, my, my co-host Regan She'll use a word like tribe, or she'll use you know uh, other other words uh, that, depending on where you are in this idea of decolonizing your mind, that may not be the priority in terms of correcting the language. And so I take the criticism and and uh, and, and look, I, I echo that criticism, not to to criticize my, my co-host, but just to just to frame it right. So I want to make sure that when we're when that if we do use words, look, there are people, indigenous is another word, right? I'm sometimes uncomfortable. I'm not saying I don't ever use the word. But part of the reason I, I have trouble with the word is because the international definition of indigenous suggests that we are merely descendants of a people who predate colonization. So it's like the, the word is framed about being Occupied about being a, a subdued or, or subjugated people, and or or just a mere descendant of a people, and and I have problems with that. So if I use the word indigenous, I oftentimes have to explain what I mean by it, 
and 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 sometimes I have to address that I don't that I don't concede to the uh, the interna- international definition. And so when we're, whether we use words like like in, uh, indigenous or Aboriginal or First Nations or American Indian or Native American or any of that stuff. I have problems with all of it. That's why, you know, for me, I use a word like something benign, like the word native, if I'm going to use an English word. But I would rather use ongwe ongwe. I would rather use gunyagahaga. I would rather use, you know, um, or rudinashoni. I would rather use words that somebody else can't assume what they mean unless they assume wrong uh, on some of these things. And then, th- so I can make the correction. So, so that's that's kind of I, I think language matters. Uh, Steve Newcomb, a um, friend of mine who who basically taught the world about the doctrine of Christian discovery. One of the things that Stephen Newcomb did was he uh, he 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 asked the question: Did tribes exist before European contact? And of course, the answer is no, no, they didn't exist because that wasn't a concept that we had. And you know, and of course, what does tribe mean? You know. Depending on where you look it up, for one thing, if if you look up the word tribe in the in the uh, in the dictionary, and it mentions Native American or something like that, that's like putting the cart in front of the horse here, because that was a word that was imposed upon us. It doesn't it doesn't come from us. So to say that, to say that's what it's come to mean, well, here's the problem that I have with a word like tribe. If you listen to the talking heads on television. You'll often hear them talking about, well, um, uh, that sure was a defini- or an example of tribalism. They don't mean it in a complimentary way. If they talk about you know, the, the tribal regions of Afghanistan, they aren't talking about the sophisticated people. They're talking about primitive people. So the word tribe, as it's used today in the, the common vernacular of, of, of news cycles, always has a negative connotation to it. So I think it's important that that if if we're going to understand what tribal and tribalism means, that it's a negative thing, then how can the word tribe be a positive thing? It's not meant to be uh, be anything other than derogatory and uh, and be a substitute for something like uh, like a primitive people. So that that's why I have problems with it, you know. And, and so these these are the challenges. And of course, the problem is we have been so indoctrinated to these these labels that that we've that have been imposed upon us that we we eventually begin to accept them look this this plays into the into the mascot issue i mean there was a period of time that that native people oftentimes would be drawn to a team like the washington football team and 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 they may not have been offended by the word redskin they may have been drawn to the the atlanta braves or the cleveland indians or the chicago blackhawks why? Because there was so little in the dominant culture around us that we could relate in any way, shape, or form to that we clung to the very the, to the scraps they dropped that, that fell off the table, right? So these these derogatory terms, these these appropriations that and they were never talking about us. The Washington Redskins aren't native people. <laughs> you know, they were all white people at one time, now they're predominantly black people, wearing tights, playing football. If you ask somebody what a redskin is today, the chances are they're going to say, oh, a football team in Washington. They know that they're not even talking about us. But it is a racial slur. It is a slur that reduces us to 
the outermost parts of our of our existence, our skin. That's what that's what it reduces us to. And because we have a a you know a a more color to our skin than white people, I think you know that's that's where you know that's where the words come from. It's no different than the N word. The, the the N word comes from the Latin word for black, and that's and that's and so this is you know so you know the that's where the N word comes from. So I mean this is this is a, an exact you know example or you know or analogy I guess to to the N word the R word. So you know, again we we lo- get lulled into this stuff. You know I've said this before as well. If you go back to the 50s, so much of our culture had been shoved underground. I mean, to be native, per- I mean, look, if you were a Christian, you went to church every Sunday, you were fine. You could be a native person in church. You could even sing the hymns in, in, in Mohawk back home, Gunnawage. My, my aunt, who was a phenomenal singer, she was a Catholic. She actually sung for the Pope in the Vatican, sung, sung hymns in Mohawk. Oh, wasn't that a beautiful thing? See, there's, you could be accepted. I've, I've heard, in fact, a, a, a guy who used to write for the Indian Country Today just passed away, uh, Charles Trimble. I remember reading a story where he talked about how great the residential schools were. You know why they were great? Because he was already a Christian. He already spoke English. He already had, he had been assimilated. So for him to go into a, uh, into a residential school, he was, a, he was one of the good boys. So when you get you get so much of your 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 culture gets trampled like I said in the 50s people who were tried to be traditional had lost so much that we were we would go to the Hollywood image of a native person we were wearing plain Indian headdresses our chiefs in fact when when representatives of the Six Nation went down to Washington to officially declare war against the Axis powers in World War II, there's images of that. Look what they're wearing. They look like they came right off a Hollywood scene. They weren't wearing gustoas. They weren't wearing antlers. Nope. They were wearing Plains Indian headdresses. Why? Because that's the image that that's what we thought we were. So when anytime I hear people say, "Well, we we had this," you know. 500 years of uh, uh you know of continuous you know um uh practicing of our culture well no we, we've had some glitches along the way but because of language because of our ability to to research we know better now you're you will never see um a Haudenosaunee Ongoenwe dressed with with a plain scene headdress thinking that in any way shape or form that was culturally appropriate no you don't we know better now because we you know we know that hollywood doesn't define us the washington football team's name isn't us the the cleveland baseball cartoon image chief wahoo that's not us so we we have to be careful with with language and appropriation so as we appropriate their words, we also need to be careful. As we appropriate their concepts, their concepts of land ownership, their concepts of, of citizenship or membership or nationhood, we don't need to be put in their box. 
I mean, we, I would much rather associate myself with other elements of creation, other animals, if you will, than other human beings. We live in a time, uh, an unprecedented time right now because of this, this disease that is the ravaging so much of the world, all of the world, actually. But the reality is man is the disease. And we, we demonstrate that with the way we've abused the planet, the way we've abused each other, the way we've abused other creation, whether we're talking about, you know, whaling industry or the fishing industry or, you know, um, agribusinesses, oil exploration and ex- uh, extraction, mineral extraction. We tear the crap out of everything. Everything is done based on a dollar value. And, and Native people, we're into it too. So we have to revisit things like our concepts, our words, our ideals. Look, I know we've been affected. Look, if we were able to come out of the 50s and shed the Hollywood images that we adopted to reclaim some authenticity of who we are. We still have a ways to go, folks. Look, I know everybody's consumed with, you know, know, with stay-at-home orders. From a Native standpoint, that's not a terrible thing, folks. There's, I'm hoping that we come out of the other side of this thing. We come out of the other side of this thing with with a renewed sense of self and identity. And then in doing so, Others who are not Ongwe may learn something from that. Because you know what? You don't have power over things like, you know, over things like um, disease. You don't have power over, you know, over what the planet is going to do, whether it's tight. I mean, when a tsunami kills a quarter of a million people the day after Christmas and, uh, in 2004, where was man's sovereignty then? Where was man's power and authority then? Most of the concepts of power and authority are false. They're fake. They are not real. You know who they're real with? They're in the minds of other people. In the minds of the subjugated. In the minds of the ones who don't want to accept responsibility. And pass that responsibility and authority over to somebody else. Authority and power is a man-made construct just like good versus evil is. But responsibility? A bear knows what its responsibility is. A, a mother bear knows what its responsibility is. A, a male bear knows what its responsibility is. A wolf knows. All of other creations know. But man has a twisted idea. This idea that we have the power to the power of reason to plan for the future and to make decisions that will impact seven generations in a positive way, that it will do no harm to seven generations? Even we have looked at as that, what can we do to get stuff, to accumulate consumables? We've got sucked into that too. See, the Europeans looked at this idea that the, that the best thing to do was, was to accumulate wealth. And that was going to secure them, secure them 
at the expense of others. Because you can't have wealth. Wealth is always a relative thing. You can't have wealth without having poverty. And in the United States and in Canada and in, in, the, in the so-called developed world, that's what we see. The disproportionate accumulation of wealth, the disparity between uh, wealth and poverty has put the entire planet at a tipping point. You know, this, this disease, this COVID-19 disease, there should be lessons that come from this. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture. Again, as I said at the beginning of the show, good people will die because of this and have died. And there's no, there's no rejoicing victory that should come when mankind gets on the other side of this thing. We should be very reflective on what transpired how we behaved how we acted our responsibility or lack of responsibility we should be very very thoughtful on how we responded to this and how people that we gave responsibility to responded to this because we we're losing people we're losing good people yeah no look there's some people who may not be good <laughs> That, that gets struck down by this but you know what that's not what the virus or a disease worries about they don't they don't select they don't target good versus evil or evil versus good again that's that's a man-made construct so again i want to i i think it's really really important that we that we we as only reflect on our circumstance today i think we should take pride in some of the success that we've had when we talk about you know again the the movement that we've had in in, in asserting our identity and asserting our distinction i know sovereignty is but what what's uh, is what people have called the sovereignty movement but but even uh, taking that even understanding that this this sovereignty movement should teach us something about what sovereignty is and why that needs to be put aside as well. Us wrapping ourselves up in this in this concept of sovereignty is no different than us wrapping ourselves up um, in in the image that Hollywood created for us. So we had we need to take some stock in that. So I'm going to thank you for listening to the show. Um, I hope anything I said here it was never meant to offend anybody. I know sometimes these things can be disruptive because they're concepts that that aren't talked about in such a way. But just think about it. Critical thinking. That, that's, what, that's what we're calling for. I want to thank you for listening. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.